Welcome back to the second hour of Gesundheit with Jacobus. Here again is your host, Jacobus Hollowai. And welcome back, everybody, to the second hour of Gesundheit with Jacobus uh, on this Sunday morning. My name is Jacobus Hollowai, and good to have you with us. Um, Barry Schieber wrote several books. Um, uh, one is called Nose to Nose, is a memory of healing back in 2002, which is about uh, the dog, Moritz, and... Then the, the, they're all about Moritz. So A Gift to Share is came out in 2005. It's called The Story of Moritz. Then in 2006, he wrote An Open Heart, a story about Moritz. 2007, A Peaceful Mind, which is travels with Moritz. Now, you can find out great stories and lots of information if you go to Barry's website, which is Silent Moon books.com silentmoonbooks.com Barry it's just great to have you with us good morning to you good morning it's a pleasure to be with you well it's it's uh it's something uh, listening to you last night and you said you know this is really the first dog i've ever had and moritz is now 8 years old so you have a very open mind and just to be amazed by by a, a wonderful creature like this so you, it's not that you have a, a lot of uh, history that you can say, oh, yeah, I, this dog was great. This You really have a dog that you said this dog has changed your life and, and also the life of so many other people. But part of it is, I think, that you yourself are so observant that you see it. And because of that, you've been able to be inspired. You were inspired to write the books. I clearly was inspired to write the books, but, you know, in many ways, Mertz is an ordinary dog, and I'm certainly an ordinary guy. It's just that this particular connection was auspicious from the beginning, and then he has so much to offer, and so many people responded to him, it just kept growing and growing, and more and more stories appeared until he became a therapy dog when he was uh, one year old, and then it all expanded, and then the books started just coming out. But let's uh, let's start at the beginning. How did you meet uh, Moritz? I was traveling in Europe, and I became ill and um, ended up seeing a Swiss doctor and needed a couple of operations. And uh, after the second operation, some friends of mine from California were in Geneva. I was in central, I was in Lucerne uh, recovering from the surgery, and my friend said, come on over to Geneva, let's see how you are. So uh, a friend of mine and I took the train to Geneva, and my friend was staying with his wife in a beautiful hotel room overlooking Lake Geneva. Yeah. And, and they had a, a suite. So in the living room on this coffee table, there was a large goldfish bowl. And the light was filtering through the curtains, and these goldfish were just shimmering. And it was just startling. I had never seen a goldfish or anything really alive in a hotel room before. And yeah. I went over and looked, and there was a sign that said, Hello, our names are Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> please don't, please don't feed us. It's done routinely. Yeah. And of course, you just got totally uplifted by this, and yes. it reminded me of their Bernese dog named Heidi. So I said, "Oh, by the way, how's Heidi doing?" 
And they both broke down in tears because a month earlier, uh, Heidi had died at only four years of age. And it was the second Bernese they had that died at four years. And my oh. friend just looked at me and said, you know, if I ever got another Bernese, I would get it here in Switzerland. Mm. And for unknown reasons, it stuck in my mind, and I asked my friend who was with me, did she know of a good breeder? And she said, no, but her sister has a dog, and she'd ask. And the next day, her sister was walking her dog around one of the lakes and ran into a man with a Bernese and asked him, you know, do you know a good breeder? And he said, oh, yes, the one who bred this is in the next village, only 20 minutes away, and they just had puppies. So my friend and I the next day went over to uh, Ultra Clean, if that isn't a contradiction, isn't sort of a uh, repeat of a Swiss couple. Their house was super clean. You couldn't even tell they had dogs. And in the back, they had these seven puppies. Wow. And we went back and looked, and I was just taken by all of them. So I said, well, I'll take all seven of them, kiddingly. And they laughed and said, well, three or four are already taken, but come look. So I looked, and I they all had different colored collars. That's how you could tell. Yeah. You'd have to put your hand under the fur to see the collar because they were so furry, and they were just, you know, they're just irresistible. But I got scared because I hadn't had a dog before, so I said, do you, do you mind if I come back in a few days? Yeah. And they said, no, which one do you like? And I said, I like this one here with the purple collar. And they said, well, we'll just save them. So I said, oh, this is really sweet, thank you. And two days later, it came back in the backyard, and the dogs are all running around and chasing sticks and the usual. Yeah. And I sat on a bench, and this one dog came over and pulled on my shoelace, and I looked under, and it was indeed this dog with the purple collar. And I asked the breeder, gee, you know, could you tell me about this dog? And she said, well, you know, as soon as someone walks in our yard, I can tell what dog is for them. And she said it without any boasting at all. It was just very matter-of-fact. And I said, oh, this is terrific. Could you tell me what dog to get? And she said, no, you have to pick out your own dog. <laughs> She's a very wise woman. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well... This one here with the purple collar, could you tell me something about him? And he was only eight weeks at the time. And she said, yes, we Swiss have a saying, he has a ghost of a woman in him. Uh-huh. And I later learned that she was exactly right. He's just a very benevolent, very sweet, very gentle, and extraordinarily calm dog. So, you know, at 12 weeks, they won't let you have a dog in Switzerland until the dogs are 12 weeks old. We flew back to Montana, and oh. we started our life together. Now, that is obviously, that is the beginning of the story, but um, it, it, when I go through the book that, that I have here in front of me, Moments of Wonder, Life with Moritz, it is obvious that wherever you take the dog, people, a lot of people love dogs anyway, but there is something about this dog as big as it is, like 115 pounds, people first of all look, and then when you say, no, 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 she, she is harmless, Right away, they feel so connected with this dog, and um, they're so warmed by his presence. And Moritz knows it, but as you and I were talking last night, you say sometimes it, it, it goes so quickly the way Moritz is able to see what a person needs and goes over, does his thing, and moves away without even worrying about being thanked. That's correct. I think the first thing that you know, when Maritz was a puppy, of course, they're very cute. People would come over. But then he got a little older. And the, the characteristic that, that sort of sparked me to, to see if he'd be a good therapy dog and take to hospitals was the fact that no matter where we were and no matter what the age of people, they'd come over to Maritz and they'd lose completely all their self-consciousness. Yeah. 
their whole identity was gone, and there they were just having an enormous amount of fun playing with this dog. I mean, people would get down on their knees. We, <laughs> we went to the airport, and <laughs> Moritz was on the lawn next to the airport, and we had the back uh, of a station wagon open, so he would get in, and I called Moritz. I dropped my friend off at the airport, and I said, all right, Moritz, get in the car. He was about a year old at the time, and he wouldn't get in the car. And a lady is rolling her tro- trolley, her little cart down with all her luggage in, the, in this trolley, and she looks at me trying to get Moritz in the car, and she stops, parks her, her luggage, looks at Moritz, looks in the car. She then gets in the back door, jumps in the car, pulls her skirt up, jumps in the car, and yells to Moritz, Come, Moritz, come! Yeah, yeah. And Moritz looks up, the dog, and Moritz jumps in the car. She gives a great big hug, shuts the door, fixes her skirt, picks up her suitcase, and as she's walking up, I said, Wait a second, what can I do for you? And she said, You just did it. I see. And then I knew this is this is uh this is something else. And took him to with the Delta Society to be trained to become a therapy doc. We're talking with Barry Schieber and he written several books about his experiences with his own dog called Moritz, a Bernese mountain dog, and the amazing gift that this dog brings to other people. Um, how does Moritz help to heal people? What, what do you think it is? Oh, this is a terrific question, probably why there's five books trying to figure this out. What I noticed is, particularly in the it, you know, we began at the hospital going every Tuesdays for about a year and a half, so we had lots of experiences, and it was those experiences that I would write about, and that's how Nose to Nose, the first book, actually came out. Nose to Nose, yeah. Nose mm-hmm. to Nose. It's called A Memoir of Healing. I think it was my own healing as well as Maritza's heal, uh, healing other people. So we would visit each time in the hospital. After the visit, Maritz would run around the park, which is right next to the community medical center uh, in Missoula. I would drive home. And some of the meetings were pretty dramatic for me, and I would just write them out and email them to friends, and then the book came out. The answer to your question is, how does this healing take place? I thought a great deal about it. I finally concluded that really healing means making one whole again. Mm -hmm. And there's something about Moritz that when there's an interaction, time changes for people so that they are very present either by his size or his beauty or by a connection. And you'll see people who were, you could see suffering, and all of a sudden they'd begin telling you that when they were 18 years old they had a dog, and they'd go into these wonderful stories laughing and enjoying themselves, sometimes depending, you know, it lasts one minute or two minutes or five minutes. And all of a sudden people would be very present and very consumed by this great pleasure and connection, and then it would disappear. And I think that really aided their healing and Subsequently, there's lots of studies about this, and actually I should mention because it's so fascinating, there's a woman in Carroll College who's head of the psychology department. Her name is Ann Perkins, yeah. and she's chair of the psychology department and began a program called Human-Animal Relations, and you can major in this. Uh-huh. And it's scientifically oriented. It's not uh, new agey too much. It's really based on horses and all types of animals and the relationship with people. And if you begin the major at Carroll College, you have to get an animal. And by the time you graduate, the animal has to do community service. Okay. So I don't think it's only Maritz. I think Maritz is just, he has a certain talent for it. But I think depending on the animal and, and the owners, every animal has. Mm. I, um, 
I was going through the book and came up with some fun stories. I mean, the, the, every story is, is special, but I think that a fun story, and, and the way this is written, uh, folks, is that the book goes month by month. So what it talks about this, the last month in this book is August of 2008, and then uh, it goes to September of last year of 2007. So every month, you kind of wrote a story for every month. And one was in June that you wrote where you were in Amsterdam. Yes. Which is uh, kind of close to my heart because uh, <laughs> I lived there for many years. But would you mind sharing that story with uh, with the listeners, please, about the people you met over there? I'm sure, sure that most, most listeners will know who these people were. Okay, well, Maritz and I were living in, in Amsterdam, and I, I was doing some teaching, and I'll begin this story. Sunday mornings in Amsterdam are quiet. We leave our room early in the morning, headed to the bakery for fresh bread. In the early morning sunlight, the city glows. We walk slowly through the maze of canals, over bridges, and through neighborhood parks. Sometimes I go first, sometimes Barry does. We're in no hurry, just enjoying ourselves. And I want to jump in there real quick, folks. The book is written by Moritz, through the eyes of Moritz. So when he says Barry, he's obviously talking about you. Thank you. Yeah. We come to a big street full of cars. I sit by Barry's side and wait for his command to cross. Suddenly we hear a woman shouting, I can't believe it! Across the street I see a pretty woman in a jogging suit and a Boston Red Sox cap, waving her arms and calling us. We cross the street. Even before we reach the curb, questions come tumbling towards us. Hello, hello, can I take your picture? Uh, I mean, can I take a picture of your dog? What's his name? What breed? Where did you get him? Where do you live? Maybe you could take a picture of the two of us. Wait, wait until I tell my husband. And she pauses for breath, very calmly replies, sure, you can take your pictures. How come you're so excited? Yesterday, my husband and I saw your dog for just a moment before you disappeared behind a bus. Last night, we were talking about our three favorite images of Amsterdam. Your dog was one of them. Barry takes a deep breath and says, What do you do for a living? I'm a sports writer. My name is Leslie Visser. My husband is Dick Stockton. Barry recognizes Dick's name and says, Tell Dick I enjoy his basketball broadcast. He is a fan of one, at least in Montana. Leslie nods, but she's really not listening. She's upset because her camera isn't working. She tries again and again to take our picture. No luck. Frustrated, she asks if we will come to the Amstel Hotel to meet Dick. He won't believe it. She's so enthusiastic and charming that it's hard for Barry to say no. He looks at me and asks, What do you think, Moritz? Would you like to see a beautiful hotel and meet Dick? I know he's trying to slow Leslie down and get her to stop asking so many questions. Besides, he knows I'm ready to go anywhere. On our walk to the hotel, Leslie continues questioning Barry. Do you really, did you really write a book about Moritz? What's it about? Where do I get one? Why did you write the book? What are you doing in Amsterdam? We reach the Amstel, an elegant old five-star hotel with a long entrance stairway with, covered in red carpet. We climb the stairs, but before we can enter the lobby, the doorman stops us. Sorry, we do not allow dogs in the hotel, he says. Leslie's busy trying to get her camera to work. Barry and I sit on the stairs to wait. A bellhop comes over to say, good-looking dog, and Leslie instantly wails that her camera is broken. He offers to get her a new one and disappears into the hotel. Moments later, he returns with a new camera. Leslie thanks him, shoots a dozen photos of me, 
and then goes inside to tell Dick to come down immediately. She does not tell him why. Leslie must like surprises. As we wait, people arrive at the hotel and come over to pet me. Dick's coming, Leslie shouts. You and Moritz go sit on the bottom stair. Dick is an athletic-looking man dressed in a jogging suit. His hair is a bit ruffled, as if he had been asleep. Leslie points to me and squeals. Look! I see Dick glance over Barry and spot me. Wow! He hollers. He races down the stairs to greet me. Before he touches me, he looks at Barry, who says, he's friendly. Dick falls to his knees and begins petting me. He begins asking questions, just like Leslie. Where are you from? Did you follow baseball as a boy? Who are your favorite teams? Do you ever go to the World Series? He fires questions steadily at Barry, not pausing for breath, while he rolls me over and rubs my belly and scratches my ears. <laughs> After a few moments and a dozen of qu- dozens of questions, Barry raises his hand and says with a laugh, Leslie's already done the interview. She'll fill you in. However, I have a question for you. What is it about this dog that you ha- that has you so enthralled? What has you playing with with here with Maritz on a Sunday morning, as if you two were old friends? Dick stops and sits up. He looked as if he's been he is repeating the question to himself, silently wondering, "What is it?" He looks at me. I lie with my head between my paws, my eyes on him. He turns to Leslie, who sits on the stairs, awaiting his answer. Another moment passes, and quietly Dick answers, "I want to be like him." That's amazing. You know what? What is so amazing about this is that a man with so many words, uh, because a TV commentator like Dick Stockton or even Leslie Visser, to to think and come up with these, you know, six words, "I want to be like him." It's uh, to me, uh, it's amazing that he puts it all together, and he's still not clear what it is. But for he, he doesn't say to you what that means, but somehow. Moritz has that individualized effect on him. It's the Moritz factor. The Moritz factor, yes. It's, it's indescribable. It just, you know, it came from a place that I don't think Dick reaches that often because I think he usually asks all the questions and rarely gets a question directed to him. Yeah, yeah. And I think it perplexed him for a second, and it just popped out because there was such a connection there. Yeah, and and um, when I look at uh, when I read part of the book, and it shows that you have taken Moritz to libraries, to schools, to hospitals, to retirement homes, uh, just out on the street spontaneously, people come up to you, and 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 to Moritz, and somehow there is this connection. Now, I, again, uh, many people have dogs, and dogs have a certain effect on us as people. Uh, they don't call a man's best friend for nothing. But there is something about this specific idol, this breed, as you say, or about Moritz himself, who has these great qualities that he is portraying. And and as we come back, I would like to talk more about your connection uh, specifically with an individual in Bozeman, actually several individuals in Bozeman, because you've been over here several times. And um, I think this is a very heartwarming story. Um, uh, so about Hedvig Flowers and to, to hear the story that you, the connection that you have had with her until she passed away a few years ago and, and, uh, and the memory that she left for so many people, what she has done. So, uh, folks, you are listening to, uh, to Barry Schieber, who's written a book uh, called Moments of Wonder, Life with Moritz. His dog is Bernie's mountain dog. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue with him. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
All right. Uh, welcome back to the program. Now, as I mentioned at the end of the last half hour, you have some very uh, close ties with uh, certain people over here in Bozeman. Would you please explain that to us? be happy to. Um, I was fortunate enough to have Hedvig Rap Flowers illustrate a children's book, An Open Heart, for me. I found Hedvig uh, after seeing her book here in a bookstore called The Spotted Bear. I loved her work, and I particularly liked her appreciation of nature. And I called her and for the first book, and she said she was busy. And I called her for the second book, uh, An Open Heart, and she said, I think I could do it. Could you send me the text? And I said, well, it's about kindness. And she said, send it to me. And she read the text and said, I'd love to do this. So she began uh, illustrating an open heart. Uh, I think I went down and met her in February. And, it, and I'm sure I did. Maritz and I went down to Bozeman. And Hedvick and I met and talked about the book and gave her a good look at Maritz. And she said, I can do this. And I said, well, Hedvick, I'd, I'd like it done by August so we can have it out before Christmas. Can you make that deadline? She said, I love deadlines. I'd be happy to do it. So I said, great. And we began, she began in February. She said, Barry, I have to tell you I'm going on vacation <laughs> for a couple weeks to the Caribbean, and then I'll start. And I said, perfect, no problem. She then called me when she got back and said that her cancer that had been in remission had come back and she was probably have to take care of that. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, would you still want to do the book? And she said, painting is my great love in life. There's nothing I'd rather do than this. And, of course, I'd like to do the book. And I said, well, are you sure? You know, I don't want to put any pressure on you. And she said, no, I'm absolutely positive, um, and I'll have it to you by August. I said, okay, let's do it. So from about March and April, she would send these beautiful illustrations up. And then I came around to May, and I called her and said, Hedvig, uh, maybe we should come down again and talk to make sure everything's going okay, because I, I can imagine you have a lot of other things on your mind than yes. doing the illustrations. Uh -huh. And she said, Barry, I told you, I, this is, it's a great joy for me just to go and paint. And I said, well, I want to come down and talk to you because you really don't have a very good depiction of Maritz, and I want you to take another look at him and see if you can get a little bit better. So we drove down to Bozeman. We sat down and had tea together. And uh, by then we were quite friendly, and Hedvig was a very direct person and a teacher to her core. So it's just, I mean, the meetings were just wonderful for the two of us, and she had a dog, too, that Mertz liked. So we sat down for, oh, I'd say an hour, and I said, now, Hedvig, you, let's go over one more time because it's getting late. Do you think you can make the deadline in August? And, and she said, of course I can make it. No problem. I said, okay, are you sure now? Because we can stop. And she said, no, I want to do this. I said, fine. So I said, well, what about getting Maritz? And she said, oh, don't worry, I can draw Maritz. I said, okay. And now you have to really, not only get it, you have to get the inside of him. And she said, I know what you want. She said, no problem. And as we're walking out the door, she puts her arm around me and says, I, I think I should tell you I've never drawn a dog before. And I started laughing and she started laughing. I said, it's okay, just send me what you have. And her next illustration ended up being the cover of the book. Huh. And that's a very nice uh, cover, by the way. Oh, it's, it's fabulous. Really laying down between the trees. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really caught it. And all her illustrations are good, but that was one of our many experiences. Mm. The uh, Sadly enough, uh, she passed away, 
And but she left a um, uh, phenomenal legacy in Bozeman because of the way that she also connected with uh, with children. Uh, she was a teacher, is that right? Yes, she taught at Hawthorne School in Bozeman, and she also taught over in Missoula. And her whole family, they used to have a schoolhouse over here that at Christmas time. They'd open up about a month before Christmas and sell all these toys that they were handmade by the children. Her, her mother is Dutch, and her father was Swedish. Yeah. So they had this big uh, schoolhouse, and it was just everyone went to get their toys there. Yeah. So Hedvig knew lots of people in Missoula and lots of people in Bozeman, and she was an extraordinary person, and, and the more you talk to people about her and the effect she had on people, it was just, the whole thing was really wondrous, and we had a book signing in December. The books arrived a day before, and we had a book signing, and it was just mobbed in Missoula, just absolutely mobbed, with all these people that Hedvick had grown up with, who now had children of their own, and who, who had gone to school here in Missoula or in Bozeman. Yeah. There is, a, there is a story in the book uh, uh, that is playing in October. And it was last year, and you're talking about uh, that you as a yoga instructor get up really early. I think it is another Sunday. I don't know for sure. Every Sunday, yeah, you, say, right. you take, you take uh, Moritz over to this yoga center where you teach. And um, it, it, is, it is a very beautiful story because uh, just in a nutshell, uh, as the people... If, as you arrive at, at, the, at the center where you do the yoga, uh, people are standing already waiting for you, and they greet Moritz, and they, they say hi to you as well, but uh, <laughs> they're all talking to Moritz. And Moritz is a, is a regular over there because he lays next to you on the yoga mat and uh, kind of takes a nap. That's how, it, that's how the, the story goes. But uh, there are a couple new people there. Uh, I think Bill and Anne, uh, I think, are the names. And they... Um, Oh, Bev, Bev and L. Sorry, see, I know the B and the A that was in there. That was their names are Bev and L. They are here on vacation. As Bev talks, her eyes are on me, which is Moritz. Barry notices this and says, "Moritz is a therapy dog. He's a regular member of our class." Bev smiles, but she looks sad. Now, class begins, and there is this uh, there is this young girl who tells you that she has a lot of pain in her arm, and um, all of a sudden. She starts crying from the pain and from a sadness that is within her. And Moritz wakes up and sees her and walks over to her. And, and, and tell us what happens next, please. Well, Moritz just, she started crying and saying her arm felt like a broken chicken wing. And Moritz sort of woke up and very slowly walked over to her and did what's the yoga position for a downward dog, which is rather unusual, looked her in the eyes. And she looked at Moritz, and they just sort of connected in their eyes, and they held this pose together for, oh, I don't know, a minute, maybe a minute and a half, as the tears rolled down her face. And then she, put, she reached out and pulled Moritz to her and hugged him, and then let him go. And Moritz walked over to Bev and Al, who were right next door to, to her, and sort of wagged his tail, and they each hugged him, and then he went back and laid down next to me, and I, I asked this girl, whose name was Andrea, what are you feeling? And she said, this morning I felt tense, tight, walled in, as if I was encased in a shell. My breathing was shallow and uneven, and I felt heavy, and my arm had a, has been a problem, but today it just wouldn't work. And I felt frustrated, weak, and disconnected. 
But as I lifted my head to look at Moritz, suddenly I saw him as a kind and wise companion. And suddenly my body released all the tension, and I felt refreshed in every cell and grateful. The room was silent. And then Moritz went over to Bev, and I asked Bev, do you have something you want to add? Bev didn't hesitate. She said, I'm so touched to see Moritz react to her pain. Just to see him stare lovingly in her eyes brought tears to mind. Then to stop and say hello to Al and me before he went back to you. He must have sensed how much we were missing our dog who passed away a month ago. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when I when I see that, it, it shows you again the, the way that uh, Moritz recognizes something, not just about the new people, but there is something about the way he looks out of his eyes at people that there is a connection. It, you know, you don't know. Sometimes it's just a nudge of his nose on somebody. Sometimes he just looks them in the eyes. Sometimes he just sniffs. You don't know. It's unpredictable because it's so natural for that very instant. It's, it's, it's not a routine. It's just what happens right then, and he responds to what's happening right then. Yeah. About, uh, folks, if you want to get involved in today's uh, topic with uh, Barry Schieber about his dog Moritz, give us a call here in the studio at 522-TALK, 522-8255. If you want to know a lot more about Moritz, the dog, and about Barry Schieber, uh, who is the boss, uh, his uh, telephone number is 406-837-0718, 406-837-0718. And you can find more information also on the website silentmoonbooks.com, silentmoonbooks.com. Um, Barry, the, um, the effect that uh, Moritz has on anybody is obvious out of this book, Moments of Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, his effect on children, children love dogs. <laughs> but there is also this great story about Moritz's work with Special Olympians. And there was one in, uh, there was a Special Olympics going on in Whitefish. Yes. So it was very close. And, and what happened over there? Can you tell us, uh, give us some information about that? Yes, the, it, you know, they have a Special Olympics every February or March at Big Mountain here in Whitefish. And we were invited, they, uh, someone invited and said, would you allow, would you bring Moritz? And the winners of the Olympics can have their picture taken with them as an additional prize besides the gold medals or the silver medals they win. So we said, sure. So we went over to Big Mountain, and uh, at first the kids were a little nervous about getting close to Moritz after winning. But once they saw he was okay, we had all kinds of gold medals draped around Moritz. And, uh, <laughs> kids hugging him, but Mert seems to have a special, um, he's especially keen to children with special needs, whether it be in schools or the Olympic or anywhere. He, he has a real nose for, for seeing, for understanding or connecting with things that I can't see, things like epilepsy or things yeah, like yeah, Down, yeah. Sy- Down syndrome, obviously I could see, but he goes right to it, and uh, again, I don't know all the different alphabetical labels for all these different syndromes now, but the more schools we go to, the more we see children with special needs and their, and their teachers with them. Yeah. Ritz always goes to them, and most of the time, whether they're wearing crash helmets or they're jumping all over the place, they want to come meet Moritz. So it's been overflowingly joyous to watch this happen. Mm. And Moritz, by the way, doesn't do anything. I, I don't mean that he doesn't do anything. A, I mean, it's not like he calls attention to himself or he does any tricks. 
he's just natural. Yeah, yeah. There is a uh, there is a story about a lady, uh, I think a teacher, who had <clears throat> was was going to have surgery on her foot or had surgery had done on her foot. I think there's going to be the third surgery she was going to have. And somehow Moritz tuned into this uh, without her even mentioning anything. And he actually goes up to her and starts licking the foot where she has had the surgery on. Yeah, that's correct. We, were, we went to a school library and the teacher was sitting in the back, as they usually do. And Moritz went around the kids, right to her, sniffed her knee. She got a little nervous and then went right to her foot and started licking her, this foot for maybe a minute. And she just broke out crying and came up afterwards and said, indeed, her foot had been operated on two or three times before this. And in three weeks, she was going back to Seattle for a special operation to see if they could see her foot. And she wanted to thank me with these tears were so joyous that Ritz had recognized this and sort of just took away a lot of attention. We then went back after the later in the summer to her house and to see how she was doing. And Ritz walked in. And she was in a wheelchair and called Maritz over. Maritz came over and put his head on her lap and then left her almost immediately to go to the kitchen. And I laughed and said, Sandy, I don't think you have anything to worry about your foot. Maritz didn't seem to care one bit. She said, you know, I don't either. I feel much better. And a few days later, she had gone back to Seattle. The doctor said she was healing fine. She said, please tell Maritz thank you. Wow, that's, uh, that's very interesting. But also another story, you actually see that Moritz, when somebody has a sensitivity or needs healing, uh, that doesn't always mean that Moritz goes over and, and licks the person. No, rarely does he do that. Very rarely. That was I, I, it's one of, of very few instances. Moritz isn't that, he isn't that type of an affectionate dog. He, that was just, one, just what he did at that time. That was just what was appropriate at that time. But yeah. he, for the, sometimes he'll just... We don't really know what he's going to do. You have, just have to be. Sometimes he acts so fast it takes me two or three weeks to figure out what happened. Huh? Now there was a man in the hospital who had a uh, nerve damage. Yes. To his hands or to oh, one it was one in of his leg. It was in his legs. It was Guillain-Barré disease. They call it, and it's a disease where the if you can think of your nerves as an insulation and the insulation around the wire frays so that anything that even touches that part of your body, yes. you have no protection against the pain, and it's excruciating. Mm-hmm. And Ritz came in the room, looked at this man, and sat down. And, of course, when you go in the room, you don't know what the problem is or what the patient's suffering from. Ritz just sat down, and my friend who was the escort, the nurse who came with us, looked at Ritz and said, Well, gee, Ritz, I thought you were a therapy dog. I thought you go up and greet people. I thought you say hello to people. So I got the hint, and I looked at Ritz, who by then was lying on the, on the floor, with his nose on his paws, and I said, Ritz, come on now, go on up and say hello. His name yeah. was Joe, I believe. Go on, say hello. He didn't move. I mean, he didn't move an eyelash. Hmm. So I just said, okay. I said, he's not going to do this. And then the man started talking about his pain, and and my friend knew exactly what the disease was and, and said, well, we'll get someone here to help you with but you're managing your pain very well. Hmm. And as we walked out, she said to me, you know, if you even get near where he hurts, it's excruciating. You just can't touch him at all. Huh. Did you notice Moritz didn't even get close to him? I said, oh, yes, he didn't get close to him. Just another one of those things. I don't know how he knew that. Yeah, that is that amazes me. Now, you said that uh, you have been over at the uh, Humane Society over here, the Heart of the Valley Humane Society. Wolfstock, yes. 
Yeah, you've been over several times, actually, um, to Bozeman. Um, what, it, there is also a, uh, you mentioned last night, and maybe you can tell us more about it, there seems to be quite an organization in Bozeman or in Montana uh, for Bernie's Mountain Dogs. Well, Wolfpack itself is, I mean, I think Bozeman is unbelievably fortunate. It's not only well-run, I mean, the place is gorgeous. I, I, to me, it's a state-of-the-art facility there, Yeah, the heart of the valley. I mean, uh-huh. It was a pleasure to go there. As far as the Bernese Mountain Dog Club, yes, in Bozeman there's a sizable Bernese Mountain Dog Club, and they're active and intelligent and helpful, and they know far more about Bernese Mountain Dogs than I do. I just know a little bit about Marit, and they've been very helpful. All the Bernese Dog Clubs, and I guess every dog club for their particular species, are very helpful for people. Hmm. And they also have some good breeders in Bozeman. I want to ask you, I know that there are... People who do a lot of healing work and they give so much of themselves that at the end of the day, they are just, the energy has drained out of them and they need to really recharge and they're just wiped out. Now, is do you see when Moritz is getting busy with people in general and you say sometimes it's so quick you don't realize it, but do you see that certain days when Moritz is with people that he is more exhausted at the end of the day doing his work, or do you not see that? Well, we only went once a, once a week for one hour to the hospital. <clears throat> and I don't know if it's, the Maritz gets tired or sometimes hospitals are kept so warm, and he's such a furry guy that he gets fatigued a little bit from that. I see. So he'll lie down on the, on the, the, the linoleum or the carpet, whichever it is. But the difference is if a person's really sick, he'll, he'll immediately interact. If the person's sort of well and talking with relatives and watching TV, he'll basically just go in, sort of look under the wheelchair or under the bed and see if they dropped any food and just lie down. <laughs> he won't interact at all. So he'll get tired from heat more than I think actually meeting with people. I think he's, I don't, he has enough energy. I've never seen him tired from the actual interactions. But again, you have to realize the interactions can be 30 seconds. They can be one minute. And I don't think he treats that as any different than anything else going on. I don't think it's anything special to him. In one of the pages in your book, uh, there, is a, there is a letter by Corey Davis, and it says, it finishes, it's a very, very nice story. Uh, she talks about Mara. Mara was born with generalized neuromuscular... Her daughter. That's oh, her that's daughter. her daughter, yes. Yep. With generalized neuromuscular weakness and a hearing impairment. So she born with generalized neuromuscular weakness and a hearing impairment. In addition to that, she was taken from her birth family and placed in foster care at one month. The story goes on and then it ends up, it says, as, as for figuring out what Moritz has, that elusive Moritz factor, I wouldn't worry much about it too much. I wouldn't worry about it too much. The most magical moments in life are better left unexplained. The most magical moments in life are better left unexplained. Thanks so much for being here and all the best to you. Thank you very much. All right, folks, we're going to be right back. Stay tuned, please.